are listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. My name is Travis, and for those that are new, I just welcome you, love to meet you, uh, so glad you could be a part of it, so thankful to, to Williger Community Church and Sean for uh, making this all possible, and so uh, really an honor to be here. Um, I, uh, I just, I sense that God wants to do something really special tonight. And I, um, Tara leaned over to me and said, you know, in 2008, when we gathered people in the theater and we believed that revival was imminent, I think it's that same feeling. I think this, this thing, what, what I got in prayer this morning is the wellhead is going to break open. Um, I, I just, I really feel like there's something very significant about tonight, about the reason you're here, um, as I, um, been praying about God's, you know, God, what do you want to do? New things, new season, new days. We hear, we hear all those things. God, you're doing a new thing, you know, behold. But what, what God gave me about three weeks ago was this word, new places. New places. And um, I, I believe it's for each one of us personally, but I believe it's actually for us corporately and for the church of Edmonton. He's calling us to new places. And um, there is a new place, there is a new depth, there is more of God that is available to each one of us wherever we're at tonight. And my prayer is that I wouldn't just come and we would just hear some good words, that we would hang out and have a social club and we would eat some food and go home, but there would be something that would actually transform our life. That, that the power of God would change every one of us in this place. There wouldn't be one left out, but that we would encounter him anew. That there would be something that he would take us to a place we haven't been before in him because there's more of him for us. See, something that would transform everything. Um, you know, when, when we live in a house for a long time, we get used to that house. And the house that I lived in, um, in Blue Quill, not too far from here, I lived my whole life until about six years ago when we moved out of that house. And living in that house, I knew that when I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to pee, I could get to that washroom with my eyes closed. I could be half asleep and I would not stub a toe and I would, and I would, not miss the toilet, because I knew exactly how many steps. I knew how all that. I knew every creak in, in my house. I knew that when the furnace turned on, it would make this sound. No, that's not someone breaking in. That is the furnace, you know? I, I knew that. And, and what happened was is we decided to move, and it changed all of that. See, I was comfortable. I, I knew my house so well. I knew my neighborhood. And, and we moved um, six years ago. And I remember we went back after we moved everything out. And my dad and I went back to the house. And we walked around to see, did we leave anything, you know, before we give possession to someone else. And so I walked to each room of the house. And I actually took a moment to reminisce and to, to think of like, oh, this is like where I, you know, had a temper tantrum. I mean, I was a perfect child in this room. Um, 
you know, uh, I, I, this, is the, this is the place that I cried out to God when I was 14. And, and I, you know, this is the place, oh, in my parents' room, I walked in and remember, you know, having conversations with them when I came home from something really late and they were wondering why I was home so late. Or, you know, all these things, that memories and comfort. And this was the house that I grew up in. And, and I remember um, leaving, we locked the door, we left, and then the next day I had to drive to my new house when I came home from work, and I instinctively started driving to my old house. And this happened like for five or six times because I had lived there so long, I just, it was familiar, it was comfortable, it was, it was safe, it's all that I knew. Uh, my new house, I stubbed my toe in the basement trying to find the washroom one night. I, I, I thought somebody was like breaking in and the whole, I don't know what was going on because all these weird sounds and new furnaces and all this happening. And I actually took my old key and tried to get into my new house. I'm like, oh, my key doesn't work. And it's like, oh, it's for the wrong house, the old house. And see, there's something about that that we have to adjust. And I think, you know, I believe it's the same season spiritually is that God is calling us to a new place in Him. And the paths that we are comfortable with, the paths that we have gone so far before that, that are no longer the way we go anymore. That, that He wants to actually change those things that we go. See, we, we become frustrated because we're not finding Him in those ways anymore. It's change. It's like this frustration of God. Why, why isn't it the same it used to be? See, He's calling us to new places. He's calling us to different places. Um, he's, Jesus is always on the move. And the thing is, is that we have to follow Him, not just stay where we're at. See, there's a depth, there's a maturity, there's, there's solid foods instead of milk. There's something that he's calling us to, and he's calling each one of us to. And I want to tell five stories tonight. They're going to be really short. And the first one is Abram. The story in a Abraham, we know him as that, but Abram. In Genesis 11, chapters 11 to 19, I'm going to read it all for you, and it's going to be wonderful. Just kidding. No. Um, <laughs> that would take all night. Um, but Genesis 11 to 19, we see this call. And Abram, Abram is in the city called Ur. And the city Ur was a good city. Like it was on the coast, it would be like the Vancouver of, like it had coast, it had technology, it had like architecture, craftsmanship. It was, it was, it was a dope city. And he's 75 years old. He's chilling in this city. He's 75 years old. He's basically at the age of like retirement, uh, pension, you know. He, he's just, he's relaxed. He, he's good. He's in this city. All his family are there. Everyone he knows is there. He's ready to retire. And then God appears to him and says, Abram, leave your country, leave your people. Go to a country I'll show you. Go to a land you know nothing about. I mean, he couldn't even Wikipedia it because there was no Wikipedia at that time. Like, he did not know what that meant. What, what do you mean go over there? I, there's nothing over there, God. Like, I don't know anything what's over there. Go over there, Abram. From a townhouse in the city, go get your tent from Mech and go over there. God, I like my townhouse, thanks. Go to a land you know nothing about. And we assume somebody, when we read this story, I always assume, you know, Abraham, well, he grew up in a Christian home, and he had a wonderful father and a wonderful upbringing and all this stuff. But Joshua 24 tells us that his father, Terah, T-E-R-A-H, Terah, or whatever you say that, um, served other gods. 
So here Abraham is, God, you're, you're calling me to a land. I don't know where it is. I don't even have a GPS to get there. And, and second of all, you didn't even give me a Christian upbringing. You didn't even give me a family, that, a father that, that loves you wholeheartedly. He, he's divided in his heart. So God, why wouldn't you do that? Leave your country, leave your culture, leave everything you know to a land I will show you. The second story tonight is Elisha. 1 Kings 19. And Elijah, Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah is, he experienced God. He experienced the prophets of Baal. He experienced a boy coming to life. He experienced the manifest power of God. He experienced so many good things. And all this has happened. But what happens is Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. And so what happens is the Bible says that he was afraid for his life. And so he ran for his life. He ran to a place in the wilderness and he was sitting under a broom bush. Maybe it was a Swiffer, I don't know, but it was a broom bush. And he prayed to the Lord, I had enough, God. I'm done. I quit. This is over. I, I, I'm not doing this anymore. I've preached. I've been, I, I bet he had a whole speech. You know, we just say I, he's had enough, but I bet he told God quite a bit. But he's like, I've done this miracle, and I've done this, and I've made this sacrifice. And it was just, he, was, he probably told God all that stuff. Basically, I had enough. I'm done. I quit. And then God's, you know, the, he, he, so what happens is he goes to a safe place. He finds a cave, and he fleeds, fleds to a cave. It was cool. It was protection. He could hide from Jezebel, and he could chill there the rest of his days. That was safe. That was comfortable. That was easy. See, Elisha and Abraham both had a choice. They had a choice. Would they stay or, or would they go? Would they stay or would they go? Would they, would they go to a new place or would they stay where they're at? And in the story of Abraham, what, what does he end up doing? Well, to a land I will show you, Abraham went. He went to a new place. See, a new place pushes past the comfortable. It pushes past the status quo. It pushes past the ordinary and the easy way. See, his father moved his family away, but then didn't continue on and actually died in a place called Haran, named after his brother. And so his brother, they stayed in Haran, but Abraham kept going. See, he's a pilgrim searching for the city of God. God, we moved a bit, he probably said to God. We moved a bit. You know, my father moved us here. I don't need to go any further. But God said, leave your country and go to a land that I will show you. Pioneer something new. Go somewhere where you don't know, where it's unknown. Hebrews 11, if you have your Bibles, verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home like a promise in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who passed childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People 
who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of that country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. If they'd been thinking about a city up country they left, they would have an opportunity to return. See, we all have a past, but is it the rear, rear view mirror, is it bigger than our windshield? Do we, do we look back more than we're looking ahead? See, new places must not be identified by our old places, by our past. But actually, see, we all have an upbringing in here. We, we all came from two people in here. And sometimes what we can do is we can, we can actually, you know, maybe you grew up in a Christian loving home. It's amazing. But maybe you grew up in a home that wasn't that loving or wasn't that amazing or you don't know your father or mother or it was frankly messed up. See, it's, it's easy to go, hmm, I, I wish my parents were like this and like that, and, and, and they weren't, and maybe they still aren't. And you never had the upbringing that you wanted or, or still want. But here's the thing. Abraham had a father who served other gods. And if God wanted to use him, why wouldn't he have given him this good upbringing? I'm sure is what he would have said. But see, his father settled. His father never... And I could think Abraham had to live with the shame of this. Oh, I've come from a, a, a messed up family. My, my father wasn't totally committed to the Lord. But here's the thing. He looked past that. See, he, it would have been comfortable to stay. It would have been comfortable to, not, to stay in the big city, to not go in your tent. It would have been comfortable. Not have to sleep on rocks. It would have been comfortable. But Abraham had a choice. Do I let my past define me? Or do I have faith and a trust in God to take me to a new place? And as a result, take an entire generation with me. Legacy. It's about legacy. Because Abraham stepped out, there was a legacy. See, when we step into a new place, there's a legacy that happens. We all have excuses. We all have reasons. I, 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 this, that, we can add them up. But he pushed past his excuses. He pushed past his reasons. And they were probably really good reasons. Here's the other thing. Our great, great, great grandfather, Abraham, a, th a thousand greats, served God. So you come from a lineage. So you, you might, might miss a few generations, but no. God calls you. God chose you. See, God promised a land, a blessing, and a seed to Abraham. God called him and he said, here's a land, here's a blessing, here's a seed. Abraham moved to a new place was more than just an external thing. See, there was a move of faith as a result. He was building a legacy. See, new places will not be defined by our past. Your past mistakes, your past failures, your past shortcomings, our past stuff does not define where we're going. And it's time to stop letting it define where we're going. And it's time to actually look to Him because a new place beckons us tonight. A new place calls us forth tonight. Elisha, what, what happened to him? Elijah, I always say Elisha, Elijah. What happened to him? 
He was in a safe place. He was comfortable in the cave. It was easy. It was good. But God says, come stand out here. Come onto the mountain. And he comes onto the mountain. And God wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the wind, wasn't, but he was in the still, small voice. And he encountered the presence of God. And then God says, go where you came from. Go back to that desert you came from. Go back through there by the broom bush. Find Elisha there and anoint him to be your legacy, your successor, your spiritual son. See, in a new place, God, Elijah, Elijah encountered the presence. And a new place is more than just about us. It's about empowering. It's again about legacy. It's about raising up people under us. It's about empowering us, others, to go further than we could ever go. Who, who are you empowering? Who are you calling to go further than you can go? See, Elisha had seen God move, yet how great that was, he wanted to quit. See, Elisha, he, he grew up, he had a great experience. He had all these church experiences. He had that history. He had all those things. And you might have grown up in a Christian home, and you might have all, amazing parents and all that awesome stuff. But you may be questioning God, are you even real. See, it's one thing to have parents' faith, but what about our faith? Where are you at? See, when we go through life as young adults, when we start to question, we, we go, oh, is this really real? God, are you actually there? Do you actually hear me? Are, are you really there? We can let past offenses, we can let hurt in the church affect our relationship with God. We can, we can let things come in the way between going to that new place. See, God took him to a new place. See, when Elijah reached the end of himself, he said, God, I quit. That's when God showed up. We need to reach the end of ourselves, our excuses, our blame, our, our whatever, and say, God, I quit. I need you. See, that's when we go to a new place. His still small voice is here. Tonight, he beckons us to this new place. Um, you know, when I think of this, and I think of new places, I think of two words, pioneers and settlers. When I think of settlers, I think of settlers of Catan. Good game. But pioneers it is one to first explore a new country or area. A settler is one who settles down. A pioneer pushes the borderlands and takes risks, and a settler stays safe and chooses comfort. Abraham and Elijah both had a choice. They had a choice. They, they came to a fork in the road. Am I a settler or am I a pioneer? Am, am I going to take a risk or am I going to stay comfortable in, in this old place, in this place that I know, in a place that's familiar, in a place that's easy? Or am I going to walk into the unknown where I don't know what's going to happen and everything's on the table and I have to go all in? Am I going to risk it? See, a new place involves a risk. And going to a new place is crazy. Going to a new place causes us to go, ah, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? It's risking everything we have, and we don't know the return. It's a call to the unknown. See, in each one of us, there's an entropy. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's settling that can happen. See, most people pioneer once in their lives. When you're young, you start a band, maybe start a business, move to another city, spread your wings, move on your own. You do something on your own. 
You pioneer something. You, you do something, it's like, okay, I'm going to do it. But gradually, entropy sets in. Matthew uh, 13, 22 says, The worries of the life and the deceitfulness of wealth, see, they constrain the pioneer spirit. They constrain that. See, before we knew, before we know it, we're looking back on time we lived with unbridled passions and ambitions. We look back at that and we're like, we're old now. We even say that we're old now. Well, you're 25. You're not that old. You're old now. I have a family now. I need to be responsible now. I have a career. I have a mortgage. I have commitments. On and on and on. I love what Pete Gregg says. He said it this way. He said, it's easy to pioneer when you're too young to know what it'll cost you. When you feel immortal and invincible and the whole life if an adventure is waiting to begin. But pioneering a second time is hard. Abraham was one of the few who never settled. I meet many people who settle. I meet many people who settle. They had amazing dreams. They've had amazing plans. They've had things they want to do. And for one thing or another, they, they, they settled. They get a job doing something that they're really not passionate about because that's the good thing to do. They, 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 they get, you know, tied into a lot of financial obligations because, you know, need this, need that, need to catch up with everyone else. They, they do that and, and they sit in church. There's nothing wrong. They're, they're standard Christian issue. Um, they're comfortable, safe. Yet in their souls, yet in their eyes, there's something missing. They're frustrated. They say, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel there's more. I, I love God and I love coming to church. I love all this, but I know there's more for me and, I, and I'm just frustrated. I live in this frustration. I'm working a great career, but I'm still missing that something more. There must be more. See, something in the caverns of our soul. See, it is vision. It is vision. It is purpose. See, God's put a purpose inside of us that we have to figure out what that is, and we won't be fulfilled until we fulfill the purpose that God's put in us. Yet fear and comfort hold them back. Erwin McManus, I love it. He says it this way. He says, you know, ants have colonies. Bees have beehives. But humans create the future. See, humans create the future. We have an ability to create the future. See, our job is to dream. Our job is to risk. Our job is to walk on water when it's not logical, when it's not possible, to take a risk and to go to the unknown, to put a flag out there, put a stake in the future, and say, I don't know, but I believe that God can take us there. I don't know what it looks like. I have no idea to get there, but I'm dreaming big dreams of God. I'm not going to stay comfortable. I'm not going to stay in my, in my easy status quo life, but I'm going to dream that, God, you could do something in this circumstance, that you can do something in this situation, that you could end poverty, that you could see Edmonton saved, that you could see Canada saved, that you could go to another nation and something will happen if I go there. See, the, 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 we have to put a stake in the future. We have to put a, a, a mark on the map. Otherwise, our lives are going to be meaningless. Otherwise, it's going to be frustration. See, he's calling us from the comfortable. He's calling us to a new place. Par there's a paralyzed guy in Mark chapter 2. We, we don't really know his name, so paralyzed guy. 
And paralyzed guy, he's entering, Jesus enters Capernaum and Jesus was coming home, so a whole crew of people showed up. Like there was large numbers of people just showing up. And there was this, there was no room left. The crowd was coming in, there's no room left. You know, there's nowhere else. And this guy is on a mat, the paralyzed guy is on the mat. And the paralyzed guy is on the mat, and he wants to see Jesus. He, he wants to see what's going on, but all he gets is dust. All he's getting is, is just people's feet, and they smell. You know, he, he's, he's just at their feet. He's not able to see. And four people saw him. doesn't say anything who these people were, why there was probably a lot of other people. Why did those four people see the paralyzed guy? So four people. And they pick him up. They carry him up the stairs. In, in those days, there would be uh, stairs, and so they would go up the stairs, and they went to the stairs, and, and, and they started to dig in the roof to get this paralyzed guy to a new place. And what happens is the man who's unable to get there unless somebody else picked him up. See, unless someone else carried him up the stairs, unless someone else dug a hole through the tiles and the ceiling, got their jackhammers and, and dug a hole so the paralyzed guy could see Jesus. He hooked, they hook up ropes. They figure it out so paralyzed guy wouldn't fall. You know, they, they got this system. They engineer it. They get the guy, paralyzed guy, like descending down. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, it's Aladdin, you know? And... And Jesus saw their faith. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and go home. And then, you know, and then Paralyzed Guy starts singing, it's a whole new world. And then Disney copied it. And, but he got up in full view. And it says he walked home. See, he was home in God because his sins were forgiven. But he also got to walk home because he got completely healed. See, Jesus was home to bring another home. See, a new place is about bringing others home to Jesus. This amazed everybody, and the Bible says we have never, they said this, we have never seen anything like this. That's what everyone said. So everyone that day went to a new place because four people took someone to a new place who couldn't get there on his own. See, revival broke out. Everybody in that room was affected because they've never seen anything like that before. But how did that start? Four people. Four people took a corner of a mat. See, there's people all around us. There's people in our neighborhoods. There's people in our workplaces. There's people down the street in this community. There's people in our city who, who are paralyzed guys and girls. They have no ability to find Jesus. They have no ability to get to a new place on their own. But what lies in between them and Jesus is four people who will grab a corner of their mat and take them to Jesus. There's people lying on mats of hopelessness, mats of, mats of sickness, mats of fear, mats of guilt, mats of shame. Will somebody pick them up and take them to a new place? What happens is the result of that is revival. If we do that, revival happens. We all experience it. It just took four guys, and they all experienced something. 
See, it takes work to go to a new place. <laughs> they had to dig through tiles. <laughs> it wasn't easy to haul a guy up a stairs, make sure he doesn't fall off the mat. Like, it doesn't say anything. Paralyzed guy fell two times down the stairs, and now a paralyzed guy has concussion and he's paralyzed. You know, it was a lot of work. Over the last few years, as a movement of resurgence, if you've been tracking with us, we have talked about um, the stirring in us that, you know, Jesus is on the move. And that if we actually serve Jesus, the Jesus we love, the Jesus we celebrate, the Jesus we worship, uh, doesn't just stay in the confines of this building, but um, he, he's out on the move and he calls us to go. And so we've been, we've been praying and saying, our prayer team has been praying, our lead team has been praying, God, where are you calling us as a movement to go? We know that that's, that's locally. We know that God's called us to the city and what he's doing. How do we live a spirit-filled life every day as people part of this community? But how do we impact Canada? And how do we impact the nations? And we always knew that there's, there's a real call to missions on us as a movement. And... Um, so we've been praying. About a year ago, I'm at a prayer gathering. I sit down, have my lunch next to a guy. I said, where are you from? And he says, uh, Burundi. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Tell me about it. And he goes, well, I've been a missionary in Africa for over 30 years. And, um, and we have moved from multiple places. And what we do is we plant churches, we put nationals in charge of it, and we move to a next one. Rwanda, you start listing the countries. And... Um, he said, what we're doing in Burundi is we, we planted a church a few years ago. It really exploded like growth we've never seen. It was the first English church, CLM Burundi. And there was about 1,500 people almost overnight. It was incredible. God was moving. And then civil war or um, political protests broke out. Tanks came onto the street and everybody fled. Our church was down to 200 the next Sunday because everybody fled. And I said, where'd they go? He goes, some of them ended up in Montreal. <laughs> like a, a lot of people moved to Montreal because it's French speaking. And, um, and so he said, we're doing this thing called Campus, campus Vibe. And it's, we're, we're getting about 1,800 young adults off universities to come in every, a few times a year. And we actually have an open door on every campus in Burundi to preach the gospel. But we need help preaching. We have music, we have, but we need help. And he's like, well, so what do you do? I'm like, oh, I lead this uh, young adult kind of movement. Bunch of us, we gather. And he's like, oh, well, maybe there's a connect here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe there is, you know. And I'm just kind of open to it. And I went home and prayed. And I'm like, oh, th there's a connect there. There's something going on. God, you're speaking. And so we've left it. We, we've kind of, I've, I've Skyped some guys over there. Uh, the power went off as I was Skyping, you know. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's just fun. And, and so left it, left it all summer going, God, what, what are you saying? And so all of a sudden he says, hey, we want you to come speak at our church. We want you to come be part of this campus thing and come scope it out. See what, see what we're doing here and pour into our people, but then also see, is there a connect? And I thought of, I thought of um, Paul. Paul said he went to, I think it's Trophus. He went to this city, and he says, I went there, and the door opened for us. And so part of it is, we're, we're believing as a movement, would we go to Burundi and see, God, are you opening this to us? And so, um, so he said, would you come? And I said, well, when? And he says, October 31st. And so um, in the last week, I have spent the last week... Uh, 
on a phone with the embassy in Canada, in Ottawa, going, can you get us pass visas to get into Burundi? Uh, and we need to buy these tickets, and we can't buy the ticket unless we have the visa, and back and forth, and, and all the shots and everything. And so um, Kevin Machado, a guy that serves on our board, and myself, we are going October 31st for eight days, 38 hours one way, 38 hours home, to just go there and see what God would do. So we're going, but you're sending us. Like this is a research, like we're not just going on, our, but, but you're, you're part of this. And so we're going to go and we're going to pray. We'd love your prayers. But here's the thing I realized. Going to a new place takes a lot of work. <laughs> there's shots. There's money. There's costs. There's, there's, you know, scanning passports and sending them to someone sketchy at yahoo.ca, you know. Um, <laughs> No joke. The, the, the embassy is like, send me your passport. I'm like, what's the email? At Yahoo. At, I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you legit? There's stress in going to a new place. See, we're going to a new place to see if God would open a door. Here, you know, Peter, my four-story Peter, he's a fisherman. Jesus calls him rock. He denies, he denies Christ three times. This is a guy who walked on water. He was chilling with Jesus so much of the time, and yet he denies Christ three times. Everyone knew this. This wasn't a secret. Everybody knew, oh yeah, that's Peter. He denied Christ. Think about that for a moment, the, the betrayal that happened. He betrayed a friend that for three years, and now everybody in the community knew, oh yeah, Peter betrayed Jesus. P Peter denied Jesus. Oh, okay. And he had to live with that. So what did Peter do? Peter actually went back to his job before he was with Jesus. He went back to his past. He went back to fishing. See, shame is you are something wrong. And he had to live with this. And he went back to his past identity. What was his future? It was over now. There was no future. See, he lived in shame. And the conclusion to that story is Peter is there fishing, and it says that he actually had his outer coat off, but then they saw Jesus on the shore, so what did he do? He put his outer coat on. I just think that speaks of the shame that he was wearing. And he ran to Jesus, and Jesus said this, Peter, do you love me? He said it three times. He says, of course I do. Then feed my sheep. See, the answer to that is if you love me, find your purpose. Do what you're called to do. Get your identity and go for it. See, it cuts right through the code of shame. See, love takes us to a place, a new place. Love takes us there. See, loving Jesus looks like something. It's fulfilling its purpose. It's, it's acted out. See, love breaks through the shame in September, I shared on shame. If, if you haven't listened to that, I want to encourage you. I talked about the storms within and the storms outside. And I believe that God wants to bring peace. And so if you're feeling like there's a lot going on inside of you and outside of you and all the time, God wants to bring you into peace. He wants to heal shame. And what happened is I believe what happened uh, on September 23rd is we saw a real inner healing. So many testimonies of people, deep stuff, where God spoke truth and life and shame was broken. Because love breaks that. 
See, the next thing we know is, um, oh, you're not disqualified from going to a new place because of your past. And we see that with Peter. The next thing, Peter's in Jerusalem learning to lead in a new place. He's in the upper room. He's leading everybody. And then what happens is they wait on God and the Holy Spirit shows up. Acts 2, it's powerful. And then who's the guy that gets up? This is that what's happening. This is what's happening. And 3,000 people said, Peter, what, was, what must we do to be saved? Come on. He didn't have to, like, guilt them into it. They asked him. He didn't even have the altar call. He didn't know, he didn't know what he was. He just, he just said, this is Jesus. What must we do to be saved? 3,000 gave their life to Jesus. And then Peter, see, Peter went to a new place as a son. He went to the new place as a leader. But he also went to a new place as a father, a father of many, uh, speaking into the life of the church. See, when you go to a new place, you encounter him, the God of miracles, his presence. The paralyzed man was totally healed. Peter got baptized in the Holy Spirit and saw 3,000 and, and countless miracles after. Elijah saw much more happen in his life, but he got to pass his mantle on to another generation, to Elisha, and much more happened than he can ever imagined if he would have stayed in the cave. It's because he went to a new place. He experienced that. Abraham, as good as dead, as good as dead, got a son, and that son and his father, he and fathered more than stars and, 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 you know, sand on the shore. Why? Because all these people went to a new place. They went to a new place. The paralyzed guy, he went to a new place. He was healed. And if we want to have people say, I've never seen anything like this before. Then we need to go to a new place. He's calling us to live in such a way that it can only be explained by the power of God. To live our lives where people say, how did that happen? God. That's it. I, I, I saw a video of a friend of mine um, in Europe, and he got locked out of his hotel last night or the night before. And he got to the door of the hotel, and... Um, and it was locked. He had a key, but you needed a fob. He couldn't get in. He called anyone he knew. He couldn't get into the hotel. He didn't know what to do, so he just started praying and asking God, God, I, I don't know what to do. It's one in the morning. The hotel's closed. My stuff's in there. I don't know how to get in there. It's one of those, like, doors that, you know, automatic, like the airport where you walk through it and it goes. So he just starts walking around, and all of a sudden he steps back, and he's just, like, against a post looking at these doors from a distance, and, I mean, he tried it about 30 times. The door is locked, like deadbolt. He can see the deadbolt. All of a sudden, the door just opens. He walks in, goes in, and, uh, and he's freaking out because then he's like, oh, what about all their computers? Like, I, I don't know how to lock it now. Like, who opened the door? Like, I don't understand. He just felt the presence of God. And his video is actually him talking to the manager. And the manager's like, I don't know how this door locks. You, you don't have a key. We never assigned you a key. Like, there's no way this door's ever opened. I mean, explaining it. So they go, hey, let's go look at the tape. Let's see what the security tape, like who opened the door. 
And from 11 to 3 in the morning, the tape went black. Crazy. See, God can take us to a new place. But do we trust him? I want to invite uh, Karis, if you just want to come play, and, and, and the band. And um, let me bring this to our fifth story tonight. Our story. Our story. Your story. My story. It's easy to talk about four other guys in this book, which are amazing. But actually, what is this? What's, what's your story that's being written tonight? Nine years ago, we as a movement gathered in a theater in 2008, saying, God, we want you to move in our city. We're going to see a rising again. In nine years, we've seen some amazing highlights. I'm so thankful it could only be by God. Seriously. But we're at a moment. Do we sit back and rest on the laurels of yesterday? Do we sit back and rest on the highlight reel and play it over and over? Oh, that was amazing. Remember that advance in 2013? Oh, when God showed up, that was so cool. Remember the conference that was here in June? That was awesome. Yeah, amazing. Ministry's hard. It's hard to risk. It's hard to step out. It's, it's hard to pioneer and not settle. It's hard. It's hard to go after dreams. It's hard to persevere when everything's against you. It's hard to lead people. <laughs> We're not easy to lead. I included. And, you know, as a lead team, as a, as a ministry, we can go, hey, it's easy to just sit back. We're competing with priorities. Everybody's got busy lives. You name it, I could go through this room and list a million things that are pulling at each one of us. This sport and this activity and this, all good things. And it's easy to get overwhelmed and let that play out. Or... We can live with abandon. Or we can go all in. Or we can risk everything. We could put a stake in the ground and we could say, we're going to a new place. And, and I believe resurgence as a community, we're going to a, a new place. That God is calling us to a new place. He's calling us to put a stake there. Why? Because Canada will be saved. Not could, should, would, might, but will. There's something that needs to burn in our hearts that says, no, I'm not just going to stay safe. I'm not going to stay comfortable. I'm not just going to go through life and be frustrated. But I'm here for something greater than me. I'm here to give my life to something that can change everything. See, we need to rally as a movement and say, this is our mandate. This is our call. What I sense God saying, and, and, and Tara said it, and, and, and um, is that it's fall outside, but it's springtime. God's getting ready to spring stuff up. To, it's time to plant seed. But I also see that God's actually rooting stuff up right now. Though it's, though it's fall outside, it's springtime right now. It's a new season. It's time to go to a new place. New ways of doing things. 
where you're at in God, it's time to say, God, I'm here, but I want more. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I'm not satisfied with just normal, but I want more. See, the man on the mat, the paralyzed guy, call him Aladdin. <laughs> this, this movement resurgence. You know, we, we asked so tonight for volunteers, Tara asked. We, we asked, hey, if you want to sow and become a partner and all of that stuff. See, that is not about, hey, we need your charity. Would you put a toonie as things go by? We just, you know, would you, we need your charity. We, we also need the every ounce of blood out of you. So you have a busy week, but can you serve as well and be here and, and, and do something else in your week just to be here and serve and, and we get every ounce of life out of you, that's not it. That's not it at all. See, it's the idea that resurgence is bigger than any one of us. Resurgence isn't me. It isn't our, our lead team. It, it's bigger than this. It's God gave us this thing, and we can't do it on our own. It's this idea that could we each grab a corner of a mat, and could we take someone who will never find Jesus? Can we take the church of Edmonton that, that, that would have an encounter with the Lord in a new way? Could we see the water level rise in every church in our region? Could we as a people grab a corner of a mat and do some hard work, do some lifting so that the encounter of Jesus will happen? What would it look like if more than four people grabbed the mat? What would it look like if it's not just the same people serving and the same people giving? What if everyone in this room said, whatever it is, and I'm not saying you need to give or serve. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not guilting you to anything, please. Guilt does not work. It lasts for a minute and you leave, <laughs> you know? But I'm just saying, what would it look like? I'm dreaming. What would it look like if we as a movement all grabbed a corner of a mat and said, God has called us. We're going to put a stake in the ground and we're going to go to a new place as a movement. We're going to go to a new place as a city, as churches together. We're going to see every church impacted. We're going to go to a new place in Canada because God needs to do something in our nation. We need hope. And here's the thing, Jesus just isn't the way, and he just isn't the promise, and he just isn't the hope. He is the way maker, he is the promise keeper, and he's the way, and he's the hope. See, what would it take to grab a piece of that? And then we could all say, well, we've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen anything like this before. Why? Because it's the sake of a generation. It's for a nation. It's for Canada. It's for the nations of the world. Maybe it's for Burundi in Jesus' name. Whatever that is, we were made for this. I was made for this, and you were made for this. You're not disqualified. We were all made for something more. We read, when we started in 2008, we talked about C.S. Price, rented a theater, got a stadium and they filled the stadium every night with 12,000 people hungry for God would we be just crazy enough to say God I'm tired of reading the history book of C.S. Price I'm tired of telling that story every time at resurgence God we're asking for new places physical places we're asking for stadiums 
We're asking for the wind spirit. We're asking for the jubilee to be filled with people encountering God. We're asking for the Shaw. We're asking for every stadium in Canada to be filled with people that would say yes to Jesus. Because God, we're going to a new place and we're just crazy enough. We're just crazy enough to believe that you can take us there. That you're going to provide the money. You're going to provide the people. You're going to provide the doors. You're going to do it. Two years ago, and I'm closing, seriously I am, is uh, Lauren Cunningham was at a resurgence. And as Lauren Cunningham shared about the wave that's coming, our team, I looked over at our lead team, most of them were in tears. Most of them, could, you could feel the presence of God happening as a guy who's been to every nation started to share what it looks like to walk in faith and go to new places. What it looks like to buy buildings with millions of dollars when you have not millions of dollars. What it looks like to call on God and follow the adventure and say yes to going to a new place. And I remember just so moved in my heart going, God, that's what I'm called to. It, my, my spirit was vibrating. And I, and I feel that some of you are feeling this right now. There's a vibration in here because there's something we're catching tonight that's not from me, but it's from the Lord. And it's, it, it's on this tonight. What would it look like? Maybe, maybe we need buildings as a resurgence. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like. But all I know is I want to I go there. And I need to go there personally to live with abandon, not just by words, but with actions. God, I'm frustrated with where I'm at. I, I want more. I'm not going to settle in my frustration. See, hunger's, hunger, frustration's address is hunger. And God's calling us to more. I don't want to be safe. Isaiah said, but forget all. Don't forget, forget all, but nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Isaiah 43, 19, do you not see it? Rivers in a dry wasteland. It's a river and it's rising and it's taking us to a new place. I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. The Spirit of God is here. God, I thank you that you're here in this place. I thank you for your tangible presence. Right now, we just ask for even more. We ask for more for the weight of your glory to fall in this place. Everything in our minds, every distraction, I just take authority. I thank you that we're moving to a new place tonight and nothing can stop that. So right now, Holy Spirit, we, we just, we invite you in a new way. See, going to a new place starts in our hearts and just with your eyes closed, heads bowed, it starts in your heart. If you find frustrated with your direction, if your purpose of life right now, maybe it's because he's calling you to a new place. Some you're stuck in a new place, you're stuck in, a, in, a, in an old place because you don't think there's a new place for you or you don't deserve it. That your past disqualifies you from the new place, but nothing disqualifies you from the new place. That's shame that's holding you back. 
See, it's by grace that we've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God made a new place possible because we are seated next to him. And if you're in this place and you say, you know what, right now I'm actually not right with God. I I don't have a relationship. He's not the Lord of my life. Or I did. It's my parents. It's someone else's fit. It's not really mine right now. And I'm not there. And I actually don't even know why I'm here tonight. Jesus calls you home tonight. He calls you to a new place. And if that's you tonight and you want to say, Listen, I need, to re- I, need to give my- I need to recommit my life. I need to give my life. I need to get right with God tonight. There's no one looking around. I just, I want you to raise your hand right now. That- that's you, and you go, no, that's me. And we're going to pray. Just lift your hand in this place. You need to get right. Yep, see that hand? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Four, five, six. There's a few more. We're just going to wait. Yeah, seven. Want us to all pray this. Jesus, I thank you that you're here right now. And I receive your salvation. I make you the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. And now I receive my healing, my freedom, and your Holy Spirit to fill me and to reveal your love in a new way. Take me to a new place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.